Welcome to The Home Medic. You're listening to the series on the electrical system in your home. Welcome to The Home Medic, where we help you keep your money in your wallet and your family out of the hospital. The guest today, the always lovely and always talented and always beautiful and usually wearing glasses, Heidi Hansen. <laughs> uh, thank you, Garth. Great to be with you today. So, as always, lately, it's a nice, warm day. It's beautiful. A little windy, but... It's nice to have the warmth outside so that we can do that on the inside for you as well. Today's topic is electrical systems. I'm excited to hear about this. I'm I need to learn. pretty sure we all have one of those. Yeah. You know, I often talk about if your mansion is a tent in the desert, then so be it. Those <laughs> tents in the desert, you might have to plug into a current bush. If you don't have that, then you just flat out ignore this segment. So the first thing I want to cover is mains and breaker boxes. Now, that is probably something that is not high on your radar, Heidi. Uh, you know, you'd be surprised. Every now and then I have to go out there and look at the breaker box and try to figure out why my curling iron isn't working. Yeah, you have a much greater need for a curling iron than I do. Let's just say, you know, I kind of look like a guy named Bruce, and that's the shark. That's true. So 100 amps on some of the older homes is fairly typical, and as a home inspector, it's the number that I consider to be a very minimum base sort of number. Sometimes while inspecting a home, I will see maybe a 60 or a 70 amp breaker, that's when the red flag goes up and the report writing starts happening and I start doing high priority safety issues and basically that sort of thing is just not acceptable in anything but the desert where you're using the current bush. So what is the preferred number and what do you do if your breaker is outdated? 100 amps again is the minimum and that only applies for an older smaller house where you're not using a lot of newer features that pull a lot of juice and we're going to talk about those sorts of things basically if you've got a central air unit if you've got an electric clothes dryer those all pull a lot of juice and mm. if you, maybe you've got an electric heating system if that's the case, 100 amps isn't going to be enough at all. Mm. And then if you've got a larger house, let's say three, 4,000 square feet or perhaps more, again, 100 amps isn't going to be anywhere near enough. 200 amps can be much better. I don't want to tell you 200 amps is required for every home, but most electricians at this point in time and in the area that you and I live in, 200 amps well, about right. Do it. What if you have one breaker box and then you have a second one installed? Does that decrease the number that you need for the first one? Or uh, how does that work out? Does two... You know, and I actually inspected a home yesterday that had two 100 amp breakers. And I expected at first that you were going to have a mother-in-law space or something like that where you actually had different living spaces for different families all within the same structure. It turned out not to be the case. Right. So in the electrical world, two 100s does not equal 200. In fact, there's a calculation you do, but basically if you've got all the demand on one side, having that extra 100 amp breaker really does you no good at all. Mm, okay. So much better off having you know, 150, 200 amps. So one thing I want you to be aware of 
is as you're looking at your electrical main on the outside of the house, hopefully it's on the outside of the house. How do you find out how many amps your breaker is? You will actually have a number on the breaker on the exterior. Sometimes it's covered with dirt and you have to wipe it off with your finger, <laughs> but it will actually show there on the breaker. If it does not, you've got an ancient breaker and it just needs to be replaced anyway. Okay. So be aware of the heavy demand items. I've mentioned basically anything that causes a lot of heat or cooling is going to be something that demands a lot of juice. So that would be, in your case, a blow dryer. Yeah. Does that include chest freezers too? I'm curious about appliances in the garage. Because they're causing a lot of cold to happen. And basically that also creates a lot of heat in the process that just doesn't go into the freezer. So yes, that, clothes dryers again. Sometimes I will see where a home is inadequately heated and cooled. So maybe you'll have a basement where there's a bedroom and maybe you got a teenage girl that's living in there and she's got this space heater, electric, oh, right. going full time. And those things pull a lot of power. Hmm. And they're on usually a bedroom sort of a circuit, which you know those are more easily overloaded, especially if they're also tied into who knows what else. Maybe the bathroom where you got the blow dryer going, etc. So why does it matter if we overload it? I mean, isn't that the whole purpose of the breaker, just to shut things down to keep it safe if it's overloaded? Ooh, good question. Yeah. I, I like that one. <laughs> so basically, there's a couple of problems with overloading a breaker. The first is that breaker is going to continue to do its job, and it's going to pop off when it needs to and protect the house, and that's great. But after many repeated cycles of that, And I don't want to tell you if many means 10 or 100, but at some point the breaker stops being reliable and then it fails to do its job and then it's not doing anything. You've got an electrical problem where things start frying rather than the breaker doing its job. Then you lose your house. That is one of those yikes things, yes. $10 fix, $10,000. Lose your house is a little more than $10,000. How much does it cost about to get a breaker replaced, do you think? So that's a little more than $10. The hardware is going to be 30 ish Oh, that's very reasonable. Yeah, that's not bad at all. So definitely you have the $10, $10,000 rule that applies here. The conduit, you will see some conduit that goes to your breaker box. Now, sometimes that conduit will be bringing the hot wire from the ground. Sometimes it will be bringing it from a power pole. Okay. And in either case, that should be a metal conduit, heavy gauge that runs in all the way. Quite often when it comes in from the soil, what I see, the conduit will have settled maybe two or three inches and the power line, of course, can't settle. So you're going to have this two or three inch gap where you can see the power line. Hmm. Two problems with that. One is that if the conduit is actually pulling on the power, that's kind of not cool. You could lose your power and then you've got this hot electrical line all over the place. That's kind of not good. Not good. The other is that now if you've got little Johnny with his pocket knife and he sees, oh, there's this little two to three inch segment where I can carve with my pocket knife or poke sticks in there or whatever, now little Johnny's getting fried. Aren't these wires though usually behind the breaker box? Yeah, this is the feeder line that goes to the main box from either the ground or from the sky. Okay, I've never noticed that. I'm going to have to go home and check. 
Now, another thing I'd have you be aware of, if you've got an older home, and by older I mean maybe pre-1970-ish, you quite often will have your main power line being brought in under the eaves. And so when you've got maybe snow issues, et cetera, you can actually have icicles form on your power line being brought into the house. That's interesting. And I <laughs> kind of don't need to tell you the joys of having icicles and power all mixed right, up. Right, right. You've got the water and the, and the electricity together. So the proper upgrade to that is to do what is called a mast, where you're bringing in that same steel conduit line up through the roof, up through the attic, through the soffit, and then you're hooking up to the power line well above the roof line so that uh, you don't have to worry about mixing water and power. Good, so good idea. Nasty. Wow, you know a lot. Well, I'm impressed. I've been around the block once. You Speaking have. of which, your main electrical box should be attached to the house. I can't tell you how many times I have seen where the main breaker box is actually kind of, sort of attached, and it's leaning out away, Mm. dangling, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I can picture it. Nobody needs that. And so, you know, the risks, again, you can get little Johnny with his stick in there poking at things. Maybe you've got wasps in there. Maybe little Johnny is poking at the wasps. (laughs) And again, you've got to keep your family out of the hospital thing. You also want to keep them out of the morgue. So that's just a couple screws, right? Keep that screwed in tight. So instead of a $10 fix, that's about a 10 cent fix. Or some Gorilla duct tape if you don't have any screws on hand. Yeah, the bottom line is that main electrical box should be securely attached to the house so that you're not getting drama there. That finishes this segment. We've got breaker boxes, GFI plugs. We got all kinds of good stuff, Heidi. That will come in the next segment. You are now master of your mansion. I'm loving this training. For so good to be here. electrical main only, what is your mansion today? Is your mansion a cave in the, in the no. forest or a teepee no, in the Oh, I have a nice little rambler. It's, it's a great little mansion. Okay. So you are now master of your mansion for the nice little <laughs> rambler. Home Medic USA, if you need somebody who I would be proud to recommend, then by all means go to my website, homemedicusa.com. If you want any old dope, then you can go to Google. Finally, and as always, be you because everybody else is taken. <laughs>